Welcome to the sermon podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To learn more, visit TimberlakeChurch.org. Now get ready for today's message, which we hope will be inspiring as well as challenging. Thanks for joining us. All right, friends, it's time for the message. Uh, but since we're out of order, G.W. Hall is going to get in my pulpit and put it up here. Um, it's big and heavy, but G.W. is big and strong. So he's going he's gonna to do that and help me and bring that up here. Thank you, G.W. All right, friends, the scripture reading for today is 2 Corinthians 5. If you have your Bible, uh, perfect. Thank you so much. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses uh, 18 and 19. We are in the second week of our series. It's called The Gift of Forgiveness. And by the way, my name is Pastor Brad. And if I haven't met you yet, I look forward to meeting you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us... He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So it's the holidays, friends, which are great, right? Except when they're not, and sometimes the holidays are hard for some of us. We're missing loved ones who used to be with us, and they're not anymore. Uh, Sometimes we feel left out. Sometimes when we are down and depressed or seasonal affective disorder or the holiday blues comes around and it seems like everyone else is full of joy and everyone else is celebrating, but you're not or I'm not, and it can be hard. And one of the reasons it can be hard is I've noticed the holidays are a time when we sometimes remember the hurt and the conflict that we have with other people, that we have uh, estrangement from people we love, that we have conflict with people we love. I want you to think today with me about a relationship like that in your life. Can you think pretty easily of someone in your life with whom you have a hard time being in relationship, someone who has hurt you? Does that person come to mind pretty quick? Yeah, for most of us it does. Think about a time when you have been so angry or so hurt that you wanted revenge, or, or at the very least, you wanted to distance yourself emotionally and physically from that other person. And then you read your Bible, and the Bible said you must forgive. And then you listened to the preacher, and the preacher told you you have to forgive. And then you went to the Lord about it in prayer, and the Lord told you you have to forgive. But to be honest, it wasn't that easy, right? You knew what the right thing to do was. And yet it didn't come naturally. It did not come easy to you. Last Sunday night, I was catching up on one of my favorite TV shows. It's called Ted Lasso. Anybody seen Ted Lasso? Yes, I love it. Uh, Such a great show about an out-of-place Midwestern football coach who goes to London to coach European football, to coach soccer, which he's never coached before. And at first, everybody hates him. And the fans have these really creative names for him that they chant from the stands. Uh, But over time, he wins them over with kindness and with joy. It's really a remarkable show. And so I'm watching it last Sunday night. Um, Of course, it's streaming, so you can watch whatever you want, whenever you want. But it's near the end of the third season, right? So spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the end of the third season, 
um, there's this really intense scene between a coach, Beard, the assistant coach, and former assistant coach, Nate. And so here in the picture, that's Beard in the center, and that's Nate on the right. And uh, what you need to know is that Nate left the club on really bad terms. Uh, he uh, did and said very hurtful things toward the coaches and toward the players. And so um, everybody felt it deeply, but especially Beard. Beard really felt betrayed by Nate. And it was bothering him, and it was, he was angry about it and bitter about it. And so in this scene, Beard goes over to Nate's house, and Nate is startled, and he says, are you here to kill me? <laughs> and Beard says, look, uh, Ted and I met playing football in college. He was the backup punter, and I was the backup kicker. And we never got into a game, but we spent a lot of time together. And after college, we went our separate ways. He got into coaching, and I got into prison. And he said, when I got paroled, I had no money and no friends and nobody to take me in. My family didn't even want me. I had nowhere to go, but Ted took me in. Ted fed me, and he let me crash on his couch. And in return, I stole his car. And he said, I would have gone straight back to prison were it not for Ted, who came down there and convinced those cops that he had given me the car. He said, Ted forgave me. He gave me a job, and he gave me my life. So to honor that, he said, I forgive you. To honor that, I forgive you. Now, this scene was so impactful to me, um, and I think it's because it felt very real. You could tell the beard was angry. He leaned in at one point like he was going to give a headbutt, and they ended up hugging instead. But he was bitter. He was angry. He, he hated Nate, or at least he hated the things that Nate had done, right? So this is not like a warm and fuzzy mishmash, like, oh, we're best friends now. We're going to go get lollipops, right? It was not like that kind of a scene. It was real and raw, and the theology is so spot on. He says, look, I'm not forgiving you, Nate, because of who you are. You're a scoundrel. I'm forgiving you because of what someone else has done for me. Because of what someone else has done for me, I forgive you. To honor that, I forgive you. Brothers and sisters, during Advent, we are talking about the gift of forgiveness, which is perfect time of year to talk about it because on Christmas, we give thanks that the Father sends the Son to forgive us. And that's a gift. We know it's a gift, don't we? We know deep down that none of us deserves the forgiveness that only Christ can offer. We know that deep down, none of us who have been hurt, uh, those people do not deserve our forgiveness, and yet we extend it to them. And so today I want to help you make these connections, friends, of on Christmas time, because on Christmas is when God and humans come together in Christ. On Christmas is when heaven and earth come together in Christ. And on Christmas, I want you to think about that because you have been forgiven, you are called and commanded to forgive others. Because you are forgiven, you must forgive. Here's how Paul puts it in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5. 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Friends, this is the gospel in a nutshell that Jesus Christ has come and all this is from God. We did not do any of it. God has done all of it. And what he has done is to offer the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross to usher in a new creation. This is where Paul is talking about the new creation. And the mark of the new creation, according to Paul, The mark is reconciliation, that the church, the Christians, are the people who are forgiven and forgiving. And so we are reconciled not only to God, but also to each other, that we are reconciled to God and to each other. Now, this is the unique calling of the church of Jesus Christ. And this is your unique calling as a disciple of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, then to you has been given the ministry of reconciliation. You understand what that means? It means it's your job to proclaim the good news of Jesus, that you are forgiven, and that your neighbors may also be forgiven. And you are to proclaim by what you say and by how you live that people can be reconciled, that is, reunited to God. Our sin drew us away. Christ draws us back together. You are the ministers now of reconciliation. This is your charge. Remember Mission Impossible? Your mission, should you choose to accept it. Well, you don't have a choice, friends. You will accept this if you are a follower of Jesus. You are called to the ministry of reconciliation. Your job is to announce to the whole world that there is forgiveness by the grace of Jesus Christ. And what I want to suggest to you today is that the best way for you to persuade others that God is a forgiving God is for you to show them the same forgiveness. The best way for you to persuade others that God is a forgiving God is for you to show them the same forgiveness. Imagine the reverse. Imagine the foolishness of a Christian person who believes that others need Jesus just like we do, trying to convince other people that God is loving, that God is compassionate, that God is kind and merciful, but I won't forgive others. That's just absurdity, isn't it? Have you known Christian people who hold bitterness in their heart? Have you known Christian people who refuse to forgive? Well, you wouldn't believe how bad they hurt me. You know, there's just no way I could forgive them. Really? Well, God forgave the worst in you. You can't forgive the worst in someone else? Of course you can. Of course you can. Friends, this is our witness at stake here. If we're truly going to persuade the world that God exists and that God loves them and that Christ is real, that Christ is the manifestation of God in the flesh, you can't just tell them with words, right? You have to show them. You have to show them. And remember the lesson that that Beard and Nate taught us. 
The forgiveness that Beard offers is not because Nate is so great. Nate is terrible. Nate is terrible. But Beard forgives him not because of Nate, but because of what Beard has already received. Who is it that you need to forgive, friends? When I talk about hard relationships and hurt that you've experienced, does somebody come to mind for you? Is there a person? Maybe they're sitting in this room with you right now. Maybe you haven't talked to them in years and years. Maybe it's family or friend, or maybe it's a former friend, right? (laughs) You say, well, I used to be friends with them, but they hurt me terribly. Who is it that you need to forgive during this season? I know it's not easy. I'm not suggesting it's easy. I'm not suggesting you just run out Sunday afternoon, check it off on your to-do list, like, you know, eat lunch, do the dishes, take a nap, forgive, bop, 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 easy peasy, right? No, it's not. It's hard. It's painful. Uh, We've all been there. We've all been disappointed. We've all been unfairly criticized. We've all been emotionally violated. And at times we get so caught up on the severity of the hurt that others have caused us What they did was so egregious that we cannot imagine forgiving them. And this is a spiritual problem, right? So long as your forgiveness of others is dependent on their worthiness to receive it, you will never come to a place of offering it. Because they'll never be worthy, right? That person will never measure up, even if they turn their life around. But especially if they don't turn their life around. What if they're still a scoundrel? Right? Do I still have to forgive them? Yes. Yes, and, here, and here's the thing, friends. Just because you forgive doesn't mean you have to be besties with them, right? You don't have to be best friends. You don't have to let them back into your life emotionally. You don't have to uh, lay yourself out to be vulnerable, to continue to be hurt by them over and over. That's not what forgiveness is. Uh, one of the worst things that ever happened to the church's message of forgiveness is this terrible phrase, forgive and forget. You've heard that? We don't forget, do we? No, we don't forget. So quit trying to forget. That's a terrible thing to join with forgiveness because forgiveness means freedom. And even when I remember the hurt, now I'm free from it because I'm able to forgive. But we'll always remember, of course, of course. So thank God our forgiveness is not based on the worthiness of the one who receives it. Our forgiveness is based on the righteousness of Christ Listen to these words one more time. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Do you understand what that part means? God is no longer counting your sin against you. Now that's wild because you're still a sinner, aren't you? And so am I. And yet he's not counting our sins against us. He sees us as if we were pure and blameless. Because when you are in Christ, friends, you are covered with the blood of Christ. And so when the Father looks at you, he does not see your sin. He sees the righteousness of his Son. And so God does not count your sins against you, which means, here's the hard part, nor can you count the sins of others against them. Even though in your mind you've got a checklist, right? You've got to, you got to oh yeah, they hurt me in these, these three ways. That person hurt me five times, right? And, and we, we hold on to these things in our mind and in our heart. 
not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Over and over again in this book, it is made clear that what God has done for you, you must do for your neighbor. That, that is part of the essence of the gospel because God is using the foolishness of human beings to save the world, right? What a wild plan that God would use the church. God would use you and me to save the world through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so like Abraham, Abraham is blessed to be a blessing, right? Not just to receive the blessing, but to give it. And then on the night before he died, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And then what does he tell them? Now you go and do the same for others. And every Sunday we pray this prayer. Father, forgive us our trespasses, which means sins, right? Forgive us our sins as we what? Forgive those who sinned against us. Do you ever think about those words that you're praying? Do you realize what you're saying? You are praying, God, give me the exact amount of mercy that I'm willing to give others. God, forgive me precisely as much as I am willing to forgive others. Is that really what you want to be praying, friends? Because if you're withholding forgiveness from other people, then you are praying God will withhold his forgiveness from you. Now that's heavy, isn't it? That's, this is getting real all of a sudden. Christmas is getting real all of a sudden because we realize, man, we have a lot to be forgiven for, and the key that unlocks that forgiveness is my willingness to share it, my willingness to pass it on to someone else, to understand that the gospel is not my private possession. It is, is a gift that is multiplied and grows over and over again. And the more I give, the more I get. This is God's economics, friends. I need you to understand this. Forgiveness is challenging, yes, and it's hard, but it is not optional. It is not optional for the disciples of Jesus. And so we do not forgive because it's easy, and we do not forgive because the other person deserves it. There's one reason and only one reason we forgive, and this is what Beard said. We forgive to honor the one who forgave us. That's it. That's the whole reason right there, friends. If you can forgive, if you will forgive, it is absolutely only to honor the one who forgave you. That is how it works, and that is what I'm inviting you into during this season. When I was serving uh, Bethany United Methodist Church in Weir's Cave, Virginia. Anybody ever been to Weir's Cave? Okay, cool. I thought mostly the only people who know where Weir's Cave is are who are from Weir's Cave. Um, teeny little town halfway between Harrisonburg and Stanton on the 81 corridor. Anyway, we began a, a partnership while I was there with a medical mission outfit called the Friends of Barnabas. And we took medical missions, we took our, our um, medicine and doctors and nurses and medical care to the mountains of Honduras um, to bring medical care for people who had very little or maybe none. And this is one of the young ladies that I met there. Um, I wanted to bring her home with me, but my wife said that I was not allowed to do that. Um, so sweet, this little girl I met. Um, so anyway, one year we're there working in a town 
uh, called Los Cedros. And I was talking with one of the staff. One of the, he was a Honduran man who lived there, and he worked with the mission organization as a translator. Now, his main trade was woodworking, and he told me he could make a lot more money doing woodworking than he could working for this mission organization. But the reason that he worked as a translator uh, was because he had a sense of gratitude and a sense of debt to God and to his community for what God had done for him. And one day uh, we're there talking um, in between seeing patients, and he told me his story. And uh, this story, by the way, includes some violence, and so I want you to know that in advance. Um, So his name was Raphael, and one day Raphael was with his daughter, and there was a man who had been pestering him, pestering him for money, Raphael, give me money, pestering him to steal from others, uh, pestering him to scam the American tourists who would come into their community, because this man was desperately poor, and he was really needing help. He wanted help from Raphael. Um, That's a very realistic scenario if you know anything about Honduras because Honduras is one of the two poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere together with Haiti. And so incredibly impoverished, uh, deeply needy in these communities, and this man continued to pastor Raphael, give me money, steal from me, be a part of what I'm doing, and Raphael refused, and the man became more aggressive and more aggressive, and one day he came to Raphael's house. And he pestered Raphael some more, and Raphael refused, and the man became more and more aggressive, and he pulled out a pistol, and he shot Raphael in the stomach three times. And then Raphael fell on the ground, and he was bleeding. And when he came to, he heard his daughter screaming at the man, leave my daddy alone. And Raphael reached out, and he grabbed the pant leg of the man who had shot him. And the man said, oh, you're still alive. And he pulled out his pistol again and shot him again, and this time in the neck. And the bullet went right between two vital arteries in Raphael's throat. And Raphael lost his voice, and he lost the use of his left arm, and he lost one of his kidneys and half of his liver, and he was in the hospital for a long, long time. And the doctors told him his life would never be the same that his life would never, ever be the same as it was before. Well, by the grace of God, Raphael was healed. It was a miracle. He, he was completely restored and completely healed. And on this day that he's telling me the story, he's talking to me like I'm talking to you right now, clear-headed and perfectly healthy and able to do all the things that he needed to do to make a life. But he said after that time, he was afraid You see, he was afraid because the man who had done this was good friends with law enforcement in that community, which meant the man was never arrested, and he was never put on trial, and he never went to jail for what he had done to Raphael. And so the man's still at large. He's still out there, and Raphael's afraid. He's thinking, this man's going to come back and finish what he started with me. And finally, one day, he came to himself, and he said, I cannot live in fear I cannot be afraid all the time. I know that God is on my side. And so I cannot let this man determine how I will live my life. And so he went to the man's house. The man who had shot him three times in the stomach and once in the neck. And as the man opened the door to see Raphael on the porch, the man grabbed his pistol again. And Raphael put his hands up and he said, I'm not here to hurt you. And then he lifted up his shirt to show that he didn't have any guns in his waistband. 
And the man lowered his weapon, and Raphael said to him, I'm not here to hurt you. The only thing I have for you is the love of God. The only thing I have for you is the love of God, and I forgive you. And I forgive you. And the God who had restored Raphael physically now restored Raphael spiritually and gave him peace in his life and gave him a relationship with the man who had hurt him so badly and put him on the right track to not just physical healing but to emotional healing and spiritual healing. And it was because Raphael became willing to forgive the man who had hurt him so badly. Someone has hurt you so badly. And I'm inviting you, friends, to forgive them and to experience the kind of healing and the kind of restoration and the kind of peace that only Christ can give. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting your sins against you. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Let God's people say amen. Amen. Amen.